Mac Power Users, Episode 702, Unbridled Enthusiasm with Chuck Joyner. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. We sat down to record. You know, last week, we really, it's your fault. You did this weird, like, Western cowboy thing at the beginning of the show. And we got some good comments on it. And I was kind of curious where you were going to go this week. Oh, man, don't put the pressure on me. Don't put the pressure on me. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm wearing my fancy pants today. Oh, okay. We are joined by an extremely special guest today. Uh, Chuck Joyner has been covering Apple since the year 2000. He's been an Apple user years before that. He has a fancy corporate job. Uh, you probably know Chuck's work from projects like Mac Voices and Mac Stock. Uh, Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Dave. It's great to be here. Yeah, that's uh, that's on me. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't, you know, Chuck, I thought you'd been on our show multiple times. And I said, boy, I'd like to have Chuck back. But I guess what happened is I've been on your show multiple times. <laughs> and uh, you've never been on Mac Power Users in 700 episodes. Uh, that That's on me. But uh, we'll fix that. Hey, if that's the bit worst thing that happens to us today, David, we've got it made. <laughs> uh, Chuck, we are really happy to have you on, though. Uh, you have always been, to me, kind of the voice of the Mac community with Mac Voices. I remember back in the day going to Macworld and seeing you down on the floor in the booth, you know, interviewing people. Um, you've been super involved with the community. You've also been super supportive of the Mac user groups which aren't as big as they used to be, but I mean, you've really helped keep those, those going as well with the work you've done. You're, you're just a, a treasured member of the Mac community. And I'm so glad that you were able to come on the show today. Well, thank you, David. I, that's high praise and I appreciate it. I don't know if I deserve it, but I appreciate it. Well, I mean, just as an example, gang, we were asking Chuck before we started today, well, how many episodes of Mac voices have there been, but the way he numbers the show, he doesn't know, but as of July, he has now 199 episodes in the can for this year. So that's a lot of episodes, Chuck. It's a lot of that's a lot of podcasting. So many. Well, yeah, it, it, it is. But you know, I I don't do the kind of show that you guys do. So some of my shows can be very lengthy discussion shows. Some of them might be an interview with a vendor at CES or NAB that lasts seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. So, but but I like to package them individually, so that if if I'm talking to somebody that has nothing to do that with anything you're interested in, you can easily skip over it instead of having to skip through, so that you don't lose the information, or that you can go and get information you want. And the vendor also has something that you know they can use for their audience as well. So, the, the 199 sounds impressive. It's probably not as impressive as it sounds, but. It's it's just talking to a lot of really great people about a really lot of really interesting stuff. Well, you know, one of the things I forgot is that you do go to CES every year and you brave that whole madness of CES so we don't have to. You know, you bring it home to people. And there aren't that many uh, Mac voices. You see how I did that? Oh, that's good. Uh, at CES covering it every year. Chuck, give us one. You went this year. Well, give us one pick from CES. What's the one thing that Mac power users may be interested in that you saw this year at CES and we'll put a link to your, to your interview in the show notes. Oh, wow. Um, 
my CES was so long ago. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to think about it. Um, tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to change that and go to, to NAB instead. Okay. Just because that's, that's a little more recent. And I know I'm going to miss something with CES. NAB, um, some of the ceremonic mic microphone setups, the wireless microphone setups were just insane. Um, how all the offerings they have, and I'm not going to do a commercial for them here, but just suffice it to say that if you are interested in a wireless mic setup of any kind, look at Ceramonic first because they have so many options at so many different price points, and they're all great, great products. So that would be that'd be one, but I could do a lot of lot more. Yeah, I love that you do that check. I I really I'm one of those people. I really struggle to go to Vegas. You know, it's, it's hard for me. Steven, you ever been to Vegas? No. And by design. <laughs> yeah. No interest. Well, in- I mean, we have some great listeners in Vegas. One of my best friends, JF, lives in Vegas. But I was there with my daughter walking down the strip, and some guy handed me a business card for a hooker. And I was holding hands with my little daughter. And I'm like, what about this makes you think I want that business card? Jeez, <laughs> and and uh, so uh, there's great people in Vegas. Man, it's hard for me to go there. That that really turned me off. But enough of that. Let's talk about Chuck's gear. Um, Chuck, uh, you have uh, in addition to running Mac Voices podcast, you are also uh, you have a fancy corporate job. So you are living the double life like I did for so long. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. But, uh, you know, Apple has evolved a lot over the last few years. What is your current Apple gear? Um, my current Apple gear is a 16-inch M1 uh, MacBook Pro, uh, M- M1, I guess M1 Pro. I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to figure, remember which Max, uh, the M1 Max 16-inch um, MacBook Pro. I have three. Uh, Can I just say four- for a minute, I hate that they called the one the Max and they're on a Mac. <laughs> It yes, makes it bad. so confusing. Okay, so you have, I mean, what do you have? You have the Ultra as the top, but then yeah. there's, then you have the Pro, then your Max. Well, which is bigger, the Max or the Pro? You know, the so, Max. Yeah, so I have, I have the when it came out, the top end that I could put in a 16-inch MacBook Pro. Um, I run three Dell 4K monitors um, because I really believe in screen real estate to get things done. Um, and then I have a couple Synologies. Um, I have uh, an OWC Thunder Bay. Um, those those are my main storage things. And beyond that, I mean, obviously, I have an iPad uh, Pro 12-inch. Um, but beyond that, you know, there's, there's the usual miscellaneous stuff that we all have. Um, and, you know, we, we could take up half an hour just trying to list everything. But those are pretty much my daily drivers and what I spend my day on. I, I want to talk about those monitors for a minute. So you're running three 4K monitors um, off a MacBook Pro. What is the um, what's the configuration to do that? Like, how are you getting three monitors off the MacBook Pro? Um, through an OWC uh, Thunderbolt um, dock, so that I can run run those all out of there. But between USB C, a USB C connection, and the Thunderbolt dock. I can have all three of those plus the the main uh, MacBook Pro screen running. Mm-hmm. I just, I just had a listener write me this week saying he wants to buy a drive enclosure in his OWC OK because Stephen and I talked about it on a recent show, and I wrote him back. You guys tell me if I'm right or wrong. You can't really go wrong with OWC. I feel like anything they sell is going to be pretty good, and they're going to support it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've run a, I've run a lot of their gear over the years, and 
in times that I have had issue, their support is is top notch. You took it right out of my mouth, Stephen. Yeah, the, the support is, it, you can always find better prices, but the support is what you really want. And we're talking about the stuff that you store and that, you know, you really is very valuable to you. And so that's where I want my, my, most of my support. Yeah. I, I really feel like when it comes to stuff like the OWC gear, they care. You know what I mean? So, so often you'll buy something like electronic related off Amazon and it'll show up and you can see that whoever designed this thing really did not care. They didn't care if what it looked like, they didn't care about how to, how it handled heat. They didn't even care about using the right, um, you know, cable connector. Like I just got something the other day. It's still got the micro USB port oh, on like no. who, who in 2023 is making this thing? You know, that's terrible. Um, you know, and it's like with OWC, you don't get it. You get stuff that's thoughtfully designed. I love that the, uh, with the drive enclosures in particular, that they're aluminum and they're a heat sink and they're, you know, they just don't, they'll make noise because they're already, they've found a better way to handle heat. And uh, anyway, this isn't a commercial for OWC, but when Chuck said it, it reminded me of that email. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that if you are, or if you're looking for gear for your Mac and you want to like treat it right, you know, go to OWC. <laughs> so you, you're running it, you're running a single cable into the OWC and then out to the monitors um, 4k. So you've got 12k total. Uh, now, how are you hanging those things in a way that you can see them all? Interesting. You should say that because I just got away from my, the, the, the regular stands that they came on, uh, because I wanted to have a little free up a little desk space. And so I got, um, three different, uh, I think this, I think it's, I'm pronouncing it right. Vivo, um, monitor arms that, they're the kind that instead of actually being a full articulating arm, you have a post that mounts to the back of your desk. And then, you know, that can go up and down and the monitor arm then mounts on that and articulates from there. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so that way it's a, it's a bit more difficult for the arm to go back. And if, if for, if I would make a mistake and, you know, push the monitor too far back, you know, it's not, it's going to have a harder time getting back to the wall. Um, but you know, I, I got those up. The biggest trick is trying to make sure they all get lined up so that, you know, the tops are as even as they can be. But once you get it set, I, I'm, I'm not one that moves that those those monitors around a lot. So as a result, I have this nice little wraparound thing that is not a curved screen, but just three flat screens sort of quasi wrapped around me. And it just, I mean, I love it because it gives gives me so much room to have different projects running on different monitors or different windows for different applications in different monitors relating to different projects. Um, so that it's, it's a multitasker's dream. Um, if you, if you believe in multitasking at all. Do you have like set monitors that like are always one thing or does it vary on what you're working on? Um, yeah, it's sort of evolved that way. Um, usually like on, let's see, I'm not at that particular station right now. So um, usually on the right monitor, I will have Final Cut Pro up and running. Um, on the left monitor, I will have websites for the office and and anything related to that on that monitor. And then the, the MacBook Pro, which sits obviously right in front of me, and the monitor directly above that is sort of the working, the main working space that things can move in and out of as I, as I want to. Because the one thing I did find out that ergonomically, you know, you you can't sit and cock and, and cock your head at a forty five degree angle, 
very comfortably for very long. So I've developed the habit now of if I'm working on something for any significant length of time, it gets pulled over to the main monitor and then put back into one of the other monitors where it can be referenced. But I don't have to be staring at it unless I really want to turn my whole body part of the way over, uh, you know, turn my body 45 degrees as opposed to my neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always used that term reference. I feel like if you have an extra monitor, you should think of it as a reference, not as a working space, because for that exact reason. Chuck, are you using any utilities to help manage windows between those? I know there's there's Moom and Magnet and a whole bunch of others. Have any of those stuck for you? I'm experimenting with Moom right now. I've kind of gone in and out from Moom. Um, I mean, it's a great utility. Sometimes it's just a matter of remembering that it's there and can do what it does. Guys, I, I have a power tip for you for Moom. I just discovered it yesterday, and it was like it just made my day. Just literally made my day. Okay, so do you guys use that feature in Moom where if you hit the green button, it opens a little grid that you can drag on your screen? You know what I'm talking about? It's under the yes. mouse settings. Yeah. So, okay. So you click on it. And when you set it up, there's a little drop down. It's, it goes up to nine for horizontal and vertical cells. And that's always annoyed me because I feel like with this big screen I've got, I need more than nine blocks across. I want it more granular. So just for giggles, yesterday I went in and clicked the cursor on the nine and it started blinking. And I'm like, oh yeah. So, I now have a 20 by 20 grid in Moom and the little boxes are a lot smaller and now I can get windows exactly how I want them. I love it so much. So it, so it increases, it increases the density of like the, the, the snap points. Yes. Yes. Got it. And then like, if you want to make windows that overlap each other, you need a higher density. And I like that sometimes. It just depends what you want to do with it. But if people are listening and they use Moom, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But but what Moom does is it allows you to basically pull windows to snap to a grid and even have a little like alley between them so it looks really nice on your desktop. And with this one change, just go into that field and put the click the cursor there. You're you're great. You're great, man. This uh I, in fact I'm starting to think is twenty by twenty enough? Do I need more? <laughs> That's the true David Sparks <laughs> way right there. I'm writing that down. I've got to go try that. Yeah. Chuck, one other thing about your setup, when when we were talking on video, you've got these big speakers um, hung on top of your monitor. Uh, Steven, you'd be very impressed with this. They, he's got these big vertical stands with these uh, big speakers hanging above his monitor, not below oh, yeah. it, like you know, normal people do. Chuck's got them up in the air. And I asked him about it, and he told me about his um, audio, um, uh, what is your audio device called, Chuck? Which one? The, the DAC? Yeah, your DAC, your digital audio converter. There we yeah, go. Yeah, the, 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 it's the unfortunate name of the Shit Modi, S-C-H-I-T-T, Modi, DAC. And see, like whenever someone starts talking to me about DAC, my head starts buzzing because I don't even know how any of this stuff works. One time <laughs> I had an email exchange with Federico Vitici where he was trying to convince me to get into this stuff. And it's like Chuck is one of those guys. He's gone all the way down the rabbit hole on um, digital audio and speaker. So Chuck, if somebody wants to put together a killer audio system on their Mac, walk us through what you did. Well, okay. So it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, first of all, speakers is always where you spend most of your money. Um, yeah. I ended up with the audio engine, a five pluses, which can be 
connected a variety of ways from Bluetooth right on down to Direct Connect. And I also admit that I purchased the uh, the subwoofer that goes with those speakers. So you have that too. Um, I have it then direct connected from my Mac through USB-C to the, the Shitmodi uh, DAC that is digital audio converter. Um, and then off out of the converter, run cables to the speakers. And you have just amazing sound coming out of those. Uh, you've... It's, you're taking advantage of all the all the advantages of Apple lossless music, um, and it and it does contrary to what folks say, it does make a difference. Now depends on how good your ear is, and it also depends on what kind of music you're listening to. But if you really want to spend the money for the high quality, that's that setup I would recommend to anyone. And David, just to to modify what you were just saying, my speakers are not my speakers are above and behind. The monitors. Um, okay. I had I had to get a pair of of rather tall speaker stands, but I really love having that up there because then the the sound is just angled right down to you, and that's advantageous for music as well as for the audio editing for the videos I do. Yeah. So it's it's just a, it's a nice compact setup. It looks good, and I would I would tell anyone that. If you're looking for some really great computer speakers, and there are a lot of great options out there, so I, I I respect a lot of those, but I just cannot recommend the audio engines highly enough. And I like that it gets them off your desk as well, and yes. I think that's a big deal. And uh, but it's very impressive, and I uh, uh, I I like the idea of mounting the speakers higher. I think that's a good idea, Chuck. I'm going to be investigating that. This episode of MPU is made possible by 1Password. You can go to onepassword.com slash MPU and you'll get 20% off and you can enjoy a free 30-day trial. We live in a complicated age. We have passwords and two-factor authentication codes and we have bank routing numbers and credit card numbers and driver's license information on and on and on. We want all that data with us everywhere, right? We want it on our phones, our iPads, our Macs, our PCs. 1Password lets you do just that. There's a couple of really awesome ways to get into 1Password. If you want to share login information with the important people in your life, 1Password for Families is fantastic. My wife Mary and I have used 1Password for Families for years. That means if one of us updates a password somewhere, we both know about it. Uh, We can have just one record of our important accounts that we share. It's really great. And with 1Password for Teams, you can create different 1Password vaults for different coworkers or or different uh, teams in your business, managing access to critical information with fine-grained control. At RelayFM, we use 1Password for Teams. We have four or five people in there now, and I can manage who has access to what by just simply making sure that the login or the bank account information or the secure note, whatever it is, is in the right vault. And if we need to add somebody or remove somebody, it's really, really easy to do. 1Password works across a wide range of browsers and devices. So you can use it on your Mac, iPhone, iPad, and beyond. And AgileBits, the company behind 1Password, they are always staying on top of the newest features. That means you can use Touch ID and Face ID and the really cool affordance in iOS and iPadOS where the passwords show up uh, in the autocomplete bar above the keyboard. You can also use their plugin in iOS and iPadOS, so you can just 
tap the little 1Password button, authenticate, and log in without ever really needing to ever go to the 1Password app itself. It's awesome. It's fast. It doesn't get in your way when you're just trying to get something done. So go to onepasswordcom MPU. That link is in the show notes. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial. And then when you sign up from there, you'll get 20% off. Our thanks to 1Password for their support of the show. All right, Chuck. So we talked a little bit about you making Mac voices all these years, but I don't know your origin story. How did you go from a guy who liked Apple stuff to a guy who talks about Apple stuff? (laughs) I started out as a user group member. And like so many people, there were challenges with volunteers and they didn't have enough people. And so a couple of the guys one night said, you know, the, the president was stepping down and they said, well, you run meetings at work. You can just run the meetings and we'll do everything else. And like a sucker, I believed them. And that's how I ended up becoming a, a user group president. And from there, it just sort of escalated. Um, I took a trip to Macworld Boston, which tells you how long ago this was. Sure. And really, really loved it. Uh, as uh, Got involved in the user group community. Eventually ended up as chairman of Apple's user group advisory board. Uh, from, I guess we started January of 2000 through about September of 2004. And during that time, and as far as conversion over to how I started talking about it, the user group community was doing so many interesting things at that at that time. They still are, but at that time it was even more so. Wasn't the user group community kind of holding it together for Apple for a while there? I mean, I think it, people who are new to the Apple platform don't realize how important those user groups were during the nineties. Oh, absolutely. Way back. There's, there's no question about it, that they were absolutely, they were critical. And I mean, it was a different time because we did not have the web. So to get any kind of local information to get, you know, program recommendations to get any kind of help or tech support, the user groups were the place that people went to. And and also obviously to socialize as well. But what I found was that nobody was they, – they weren't telling their own stories very well outside of their own little communities or towns or cities. And so I started an audio show, and I'll, I'll refer to it that way because basically it was an audio file uploaded to the internet that then they could either play through a player or download and play in QuickTime um, called the User Group Report that was focused on telling the stories of the user groups and what they were doing. And eventually that – Part of that story, because user groups were so intertwined with the with the Mac journalism community, I started having journalists from Macworld and Tidbits, uh, you know, Adam Angst and Adam and Tanya Angst on, and that just kind of evolved into uh, into what I do now. Um, podcasting came along, and I was in the I was in the the iTunes Store as the user group report, and I had a couple people email me and say, "Hey, really like the show." but I'm not a user group person. And so I almost didn't find you. So, you know, obviously there was a branding problem as things were evolving. And one morning in the shower, it's like, yeah, Mac voices. That just makes sense because at the time the programming was all audio. And so I changed the name, changed the podcast and haven't looked back. Um, It just, it just kind of has grown from there. And it really is your passion. I mean, 199 episodes just this year. I mean, you you put a lot of work into that. Yeah, David, but it just like any passion, it doesn't feel like that much work. 
sure. know, maybe about 90, 98% of the time, it doesn't feel like work. One of the things for me is that I don't have anybody on the show, and this includes CES or NAB. I don't include anybody or have anybody on the show that I don't want to talk to. It's not like, oh, I think I should have, I should have David Sparks on just because he's David Sparks. No, if I want you on the show, I want you on the show. And that's always the way it's been. Um, Cause I, I have like you, you guys, I'm sure, you know, you have people soliciting you all the time. Can I, can I get my boss on the show? Can we do this? And it's like, well, what is it that you do? You know, well, you know, I make, I make widgets for, you know, this. It's like, eh, sorry, that really doesn't fit the audience. So as, as a result, it just is always fun for me to talk to people with with like interests and, thing, and, and educate me along with the audience about what they're doing and what their products can help me do. I, I just, I love it. You know, you're right. It's fun. <laughs> I mean, doing this stuff is fun since I quit being a lawyer and I'm doing these labs, everybody's like, man, you're putting a lot of stuff out for the labs. I'm like, yeah, but it's all fun. It's like, yeah, I think you have to have a job where it's not fun to appreciate how fun it is. What we do. I feel so sorry for anyone. I don't care what job you're in that. If you really don't like your job, I I just, I I have a, a huge amount of sympathy because I'm, I'm very, 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 very lucky that I get to do all the Apple related stuff I really enjoy my day job as well. Um, the, the, what do you call it? The, the, the fancy corporate job. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> not sure about the fancy part, but yeah, I, I mean, I love every bit. So there are very, very few days that I don't, th- that I'm not ready to get out of bed that I think, oh, you know, I just would like to stay here for a while. No, man, I got too much to do and too much that I enjoy doing. Yeah, but I want to be clear there. It's not that, um, there's a lot of people that have jobs that they enjoy, but they aren't fun. If, if like my prior job, I enjoyed that job. I helped people, but it wasn't fun. This is fun. And I think that really for when you're creating content, that really makes all the difference. If you don't enjoy it, it the content's going to be terrible and you're going to, you're going to be miserable. But this, this kind of job, the kind of stuff you and I do relate to the Mac community. There's no other word for it, but fun. Mm-hmm. So check that, that, gets into your your content world but how did you end up on the mac in the first place you know i again i i hate to admit it i'm of a certain age group that you know when i started when i got out of college got a job you know one of the first things i bought was a computer and to to play with it and i aspired immediately to to the apple too and so that was that was honestly my first real computer, um, and you know I, I think I've always been fascinated not just you know the, the geek tendencies we all have, but I've always been intrigued by what these devices can allow me to do or help me do that I can't do by myself or can't do very well by myself just with my own two hands, because I'm I I have no artistic capabilities. Um, I I was lucky enough to be guided into taking uh, typing in, in high school, which, I mean, that sounds ridiculous, right? But at the time, ah, yeah, there's no other way to say it. The, the typing classes were primarily female. And there were there was only me and one other guy in the, in the class. And so as computers came along, that served me very, very well because I didn't have to learn keyboarding skills. I already had them. But just the, just the fact that 
know, what I could do with the Apple II was so much more than I could do without the Apple II. And then it just progressed from there. That, you know, as, and once you got to the Mac, uh, it, I mean, it took me a little while to get over the, make the transition from the Apple II interface to the Mac interface. But once you, once you kind of understood what you could get done with it, it's like the sky's almost the limit, just depending on how much you want to learn and train yourself or take courses or whatever. Because again, at that point, we didn't have the internet. And so, you know, now I, I never thought that I would be editing video the way I am or doing any of those things, but the Apple technology makes it so easy that like David said, it's just all fun. I think, you know, that people kind of roll their eyes when they talk about that bicycle for the mind thing. Steve Jobs talked about the computers as a bicycle for the mind back in the days when computers were kind of new. But for those of us that were there, that's what it felt like. It felt like you were getting superpowers and being able to like get rid of a lot of work that you were doing by hand. And I, um, yeah, I, I I was just thinking about that that optimism we had back then, Chuck. You know, it was, you felt like the sky was the limit when you got a new computer in front of you, David. You, but you said that like optim like the optimism is is gone. I think the optimism is still there. It may be, it, it almost may be a little bit more difficult to to quantify or to wrap your hands around because there there's so many more options now as opposed to back then. You know, I mean, Mac Paint was a big deal, and you know, the word processors were a big deal. Then the spreadsheets were a big deal, and now, you know, we have. I mean, we're playing in uh, in the large language models, yeah, and all, all of those capabilities. So it's a it's a much bigger, broader, brighter world hmm. that we have access to, and it's just trying to figure out which one of those opportunities do you want to take because you just no longer can take all of them. Well, I would, but I would quantify it because back then it felt like it was unbridled optimism, I guess is the word I should have used. Like there was no buts involved, right? You didn't worry about malicious software. You didn't worry about negative impacts of social media. Like you, everything was 100% positive. At least it felt like that to me. And whereas these days I do, when new technologies come, I am very interested in them. AI is a great example. I mean, I feel like AI could become a bicycle for the mind, just like the original computers did. I feel like AI done right could absolutely make all of us better at a lot of the things we do. But there are downsides to it, too, that we need to consider. And so I'm a little um, less optimistic in the sense that I, I want to know how this can help, but I also want to know where the sharp parts are, too. I didn't feel that back in the day, you know? Yeah, fair point. Fair point. But it's also, isn't it a little bit like growing up? Yeah. That at a certain age, you know, you're you're invincible and you think you can do anything, and then eventually you find out you can't. That you have to make some choices, and I feel like that's kind of what I because I agree with you, and I know exactly what you mean about the the unbridled enthusiasm. But in, t- in today's world, you have to be a realist. It doesn't mean you have to be a negative realist. You just have to be a realist. I agree. In fact. I get a lot of email from people complaining about my optimism about AI, but get me, I, I get the risks here, but I, I do think this can be helpful if we figure it out. Yeah. And really that's, that's so much of the story of the Apple community, right? Like moving from the Apple II to the Mac or 
just your local Mac to a local network, to the internet, to AI. Like, there's so many people in the Apple community from all different stripes of life who, like, their passion and interest is, like, how do I take this new tool, this new technology, and make things with it, right? Either be creative or in a professional environment or just for personal satisfaction, whatever it may be, or just exploring it for exploring its sake. And that's one of my favorite things about the community. I don't think that's ever changed, really. No, I mean, the reason we do these workflow interviews is because most Mac power users aren't experts at defragging their drive or whatever the maintenance task you need to do. They make amazing things with their Macs. And that's what I always felt like Apple's you know, DNA is we're going to make this device that's going to allow you to make the other thing. And you have to decide what the other thing. In Chuck's case, it is many, many excellent podcasts and productions over a long time. But, uh, you know, we had a, a guest a few weeks ago who made, you know, Billy Joel sound good in front of 30,000 people. So it just depends who you talk to, but everybody's taking this technology and doing something cool with it. And I, I just love that about Apple. And to Stephen's point, Apple still is the best platform to get out of your way and let you do what it is you want to do. David, your, your, your defrag example is perfect. A lot of people would, in today's world, they really don't know, but uh, you know, there's, there's, you, you don't need, you have so little need for a lot of the, the backend knowledge. If you know, if, if the tool that you're using is on the front end, you just want to, you just want to interact with that tool. And Apple does such a great job of, of doing that as opposed to some other platforms where you still have to understand the nuts and bolts to even get off the ground. Yeah. And it also attracts a certain type of person who's interested in making things. And that I think applies through the whole stack, the users, the software, the third-party software developers. There's a lot of people here that have an end goal when they pick up one of these devices like I want to make a song. I want to make a podcast. I want to write an amazing customer proposal. It doesn't matter what the thing is. They've got an endpoint, and this tool, this bicycle for the mind, is going to make that easier. And uh, that's the goal, right? Certainly, among this this little threesome, it is. I don't think it's just this threesome. I think it's like something universal. All three of us have been going to. Macworld and WWC and meeting people who listen to our shows. I think it's really, I don't know how Apple did it, but they have attracted a, a type of person that's interested in making stuff. And I, I would guess if we got a hundred random listeners of the show, each one is making something with this stuff. And it's just, you know, I, I love that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to sanebox.com slash MPU and stop drowning in email today and get a $25 credit on any plan. I'm going to let you in on a secret today. People ask me why I keep using Apple Mail because it's stable but has no features. Well, the secret is SaneBox. SaneBox allows me to add a ton of features to Apple Mail that I wouldn't have otherwise. SaneBox is a web-based service, so it can work with any email client, but I happen to use it with Apple Mail. I do love that I don't have to get a special app to use these features. So what are the features? First, they have filtering. The Sane Later folder saves me. So any email that comes in that isn't a priority email for me gets put into the Sane Later folder. This is done with a form of artificial intelligence that SaneBox does 
They look at who sent the email and what the subject line is. They don't look at the contents of the email. But with those bits of information, they're able to do a great job filtering it for you. So some of it goes into the later folder. I've also got separate folders for like customer service and like newsletter things. And it sends all the stuff where it belongs. So when I wake up in the morning, instead of having 100 items in my inbox, I have eight items in my inbox that really matter. But there's more features than that. They also have the same black hole. So if you get an email from someone, you don't want to ever hear from that person again. You put them in the black hole and you never do. I want to add that it's actually quite satisfying to stick annoying email into the black hole. Uh, They also have a snooze feature. So if you want to defer email, you can do that. Like set a defer folder for Monday or Saturday or tomorrow at 5 p.m. Whatever you want to do, you set up these snooze folders. You put the email in there. You don't have to deal with it until then. It disappears until then. I thought that was weird when I first found out about it, but now I use it all the time. My favorite feature is saying reminders. If I email someone and carbon copy or blind carbon copy it to one week at sanebox.com and they don't reply in a week, Sanebox gives me a reminder. I love that. But it's more than filtering. You also can move attachments to Dropbox and other cloud services. There's a 14-day free trial. Just go to sanebox.com MPU to get that credit. Now, the Sanebox people are trying to figure out this MPU audience because 66% of the MPU listeners that try Sanebox end up signing up for Sanebox. And I tell them it's not that difficult. The listeners to this show are interested in productivity and getting their work done faster, and Sanebox gives that. It delivers. So go check it out for yourself, sanebox.com MPU. Upgrade Apple Mail or whatever mail client you use today and get that $25 credit on any plan. One last time, sanebox.com MPU. Stop drowning in email today. So, Chuck, we've talked a lot about your role in the Apple community, but you also have the fancy day job. And I'm curious what your technology looks like over there. Well, first of all, uh, I will say this, that as of January 1st of this year, my my day job changed. Um, So now I am fully remote. 100% 100% of the time, uh, there is no more office to go to. So that means that the setup I described earlier pretty much is it. Um, and it's it works out pretty well because of all the technology we have. The organization that I work for has a substantial percentage of the team remote working. And as a result, you know, they've... And they, actually, it has been that way since pre-pandemic that a lot of people were remote working um, for various reasons that we won't bother to get into here. But uh, so the systems are built to be remote, remote, easy remote access through a web browser or Microsoft Office, Microsoft Teams, those kind of uh, those kind of things. So yeah, it it means that I can press into service everything that I have here. And still, and, and work in my the environment that I enjoy, and that that way I can kind of go seamlessly back and forth uh, between the two. You know, I think a, a lot of our listeners are in that position where you've got a fancy job, and suddenly you're working from home. Uh, it started with the pandemic for a lot of people, but it is definitely a trend for a lot of reasons. I think people like to work from home. I think employers like to pay less for um, for business. Uh, 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 you know, real estate. And um, there's just a lot of good things about it. Uh, are you generally happy with it? I mean, if your whole company has gone remote, how how did that go over? 
that too is a very long story. But the the organization I was working for yeah. um, was we were we were starting to slide back toward going to the office, um, and and that you know that was okay. But I personally I don't think that I realized how much time every day I quote unquote wasted. And, and I had, compared to so many people, I had a pathetically short commute. But even so, it meant that every day I had to pack up the laptop, you know, take it with me, then go to the office, plug it in, get everything set up there, then repeat the process in reverse, you know, coming coming home. Sure. And it, you, I didn't realize just how much of an intrusion that was until I started to work remotely. And then it's like, yeah, now I, you know, you walk out of the bedroom in the morning and you know, my commute is about seven steps to the office. <laughs> it's, it is great. So I really like that. I like the fact that we don't, there, there, are, there are no more mindless meetings. Um, there are a lot of things that I think that the pandemic helped along, one of which is punctuality with, with meetings. Because if you have a meeting set for an hour, then you it's it's not impolite any longer to say i've got another meeting you know you throw it in the chat the zoom chat or teams chat or whatever and say hey have another meeting have to go and nobody nobody bats an eye whereas if you had done that in person it's like well you know there's there's some uh, it's a, maybe seen as a little less polite <laughs> let's put it that way yeah i mean i disclosed earlier that i put my fancy pants on today you know but you used to have to do it every day like if you're going to go to work you have to dress the part and you have to load up. And even if you do have a short commute, it takes a while. And the other thing is the necessary social engagement of being in the office, right? You get there and everybody's like, well, would you watch on TV and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I feel like, you know, 30 minutes would be gobbled up on silly things every day. So I do find working from home when I made that transition myself suddenly gave me back like eight hours a week of, of time that I was spending on nonsense. Uh, but it also, and there's a technology story here too, right? For a lot of people, um, having a workplace is nice because the computers are there and they're set up and they probably have IT people making sure everything works. Whereas when you're working from home, suddenly you've got to figure that out for yourself. Now, Chuck, you are a geeky guy. You're on the Mac power users, but um, not everybody is as geeky as you. But I'm guessing, like one of the reasons you have three Dell monitors is because of this transition. Um, the third one was because of the transition. Sure. The, the other, I already had the other two. Um, the third one just was like, okay, I, I'm going to be here. So why don't I just take full advantage of all the monitors that my Mac can drive? And yeah, it's it, it does make you look at things differently. One thing that I didn't anticipate, didn't even think about is I didn't realize how important being mobile with my laptop was, and now I don't have that same need. And so for the first time in a lot of years, I'm thinking that my next Mac may be, you know, one of the one of the studios or one of the or, or even a mini that if it can drive the monitors, you know, that I, I don't have that same need to be as mobile as I as I was. And I definitely don't need to have the 16 inch screen because for for a lot a lot of the time that was going to be my main working monitor or main working screen and now you know if i can get the power out, squeeze the power out of a laptop 
I could even go down to one of the smaller laptops. Yeah. So all of a sudden, my my Mac shopping has taken a bit of a twist. And when the time comes that I that I need to, or I'm ready to do an upgrade, I may be looking at things a whole lot differently. Well, you should definitely not talk to me when that time comes because I just spent a pile of money buying a Mac Studio for the exact same reason. I I do think that you know corporate jobs often do not use the Mac operating system. And this is historically more true than it is now. Um, uh, Is Windows something you have to deal with or or how do you deal with the work software from your Mac? Well, for for Office and Teams, obviously there there are Mac programs that are native. So I don't have that issue. Pretty much everything else comes through the browsers. So I don't have to... I don't have to use Windows. Now, that wasn't always the case in, in the other job, um, and it hasn't been the case in the past. But most of the time, I was able to, to work around it. Occasionally, you'd have to sit a second machine on your desk or off to the side or something because something just would not, a program just would not run in anything but Windows. And, and that's fine. You know, if, if that's a tool that you need, then, and it's important enough, then you'll buy the machine to run it. But it feels like just over, I don't know. It time gets away from you guys. It just it feels like that having a Mac is no longer the um, the scarlet letter in corporate America that it may have, may have been. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We hear that from listeners all the time. That it used to be, you know, this Windows app. I need this Windows app for work. But now, software as a service has kind of taken over, and it's really dug in deep on industry specific stuff. Uh, uh, as a former lawyer, there's a lot of great practice management software that was went from being a Windows application to being a web service. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that happens, the Mac is in the game, baby. You know, I mean, you just need a browser that can run it. And and I feel like a lot of our listeners would probably agree that the Windows, the need for Windows on their day job, is not what it used to be. And there have been a couple studies, and I'm sure you guys have seen them. That you know, people they it, what they the hardware they use has become more important to them. In fact, not long after the pandemic was over, I know that there were there were studies that came out that said you know they would people would rather switch jobs than switch platforms. And so, and and that to be fair about it, that kind of cut both ways, and and that that's fine too. Um, but on the Mac side, yeah, I I, I would definitely feel like I've, I I need a Mac to be effective. If you want to put me on a PC, you're not going to get as much out of me and you're not going to have as happy an employee. It's, it's so interesting, David. I think you're exactly right that the rise of web tools have put the Mac in the game in a new way. But there's a flip side to that too, right? Where people who have been on the Mac forever see web apps or electron apps as like a threat to native Mac application development. And so there's, there's a balance there to be struck, but I think on the whole, I think you're totally right. It's way easier to walk into a big corporation and ask for a Mac or assume you're going to get one than, than it used to be. Yeah. I I even kind of, you can view this as a threat to Apple too, right? If everything is software as a service and you can buy a, you know, $200 Chrome thing or a, $2,000 Mac and they're going to be running the same software. 
um, does Apple still have the same pull? You know, just kind of pulling this into the future, right? Um, as this becomes more of of a thing where a lot of our work happens out there somewhere, then do we really need something as fancy as a Mac here? And I think that's one of the reasons why Apple has been on the privacy bandwagon and why they're so insistent that um, they do a lot of the computational stuff that's historically done on servers locally that protects your privacy, but it also, I think, to a certain degree, um, keeps you on a Mac. Mm-hmm. But there's also the issue just of the of the device running the way it's supposed to. Yeah, and that's where I think, just like we were saying earlier about you know the people being able to use the tools and be creative, I think that corporate the corporate world is exactly the same. I and I again I feel, I'm sorry I feel like kind of an apple zealot whenever we bring these things up, but there been there's been study after study after study that says. Macs are cheaper to keep up than PCs. And when you start multiplying that by the number of, of computers in an office it or in a school system or anywhere else that there are a lot of them, you know, the numbers get – they start to hit the bottom line, not to mention the productivity part. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, just kind of like we were talking about earlier with OWC, I think – uh, when it comes to computer hardware, I'm discriminating. I'm not that discriminating about things like cars and washing machines and refrigerators and other big purchases. Usually I'm pretty okay with what we get. But when it comes to a computer, the way it works, the way it feels, the way the keyboard feels, all that stuff to me matters. And I think that's why a lot of us here are in this world of Apple stuff because they're discriminating too. They really like to make a nice product they're willing to charge a little bit more. We're willing to pay a little bit more. And, uh, but it is interesting to see how that will evolve in a world where a lot of our key software for work is, is moving online. But that's not you, Chuck. Some of your software is on your Mac. What, what, what's some of the software you use to, to pull off the day job? Boy, boy, I, I mean, it's the same things I use except for the video stuff, of course. And even that, you know, I, that's one of the great things about what you can do with a Mac. You can take your skill set and maybe take it to the office where if you didn't have that skill set, they you would never have done it and they wouldn't have had it. So, yeah, some of the video stuff I, I, I do for the office. Um, Keynote, I always feel like Keynote is sort of my secret weapon because it, it can be a graphic design program if you want to export out just a static image. You can do presentations, obviously, with it. You can do short video with it. There's so many things that Keynote will do, and and so easy, so e- easy to make it look great, um, and that takes nothing away from from Final Cut, which is what I use for editing the videos. But Keynote is sort of the the supplement to that. Um, I really love MindNode. I've I've gotten into mind mapping, I guess, a couple of years ago, maybe a little more than that, and it's just a great way to sort of spread things out and get your ideas out of your head. And on to into a form that then they can be manipulated. Can you give us some examples of what you do with MindNode without being work specific? Well, yeah, I can. I can say that uh, I, I, this is no deep dark secret. You know, I was I was advocating a revamp of part of our website, and it was very easy for me to to take MindNode and say, okay, here's what we have. And look how many branches there are and how things are not organized. Now, 
let's take you know, let's take that same mind map and move it over here, rearrange things so it's all nice and logical, and you can see how you would work your way through the website if you're going to look for something and how everything is organized. Uh, and it's just it's doing it in a different way. Could you do it in um, in like Word? Uh, using indents and and tables and all, yeah, I guess you could. But there's something very freeing about a mind map that lets you just move things around and connect them and disconnect them and reconnect them. That is a, is a great way to organize your your thoughts on on any given project. I use the website as an example, but even a presentation, uh, it's I, I I find it a lot nicer to lay out a presentation or what I want to say and then rearrange it or re-scramble it or change it graphically and then fill in all the details as opposed to trying to do it in just a traditional outline form. Chuck, would you think of yourself as a visual thinker? Uh, interesting question, Dave. Yeah, I probably more so, more so than, than uh, just because that, that crosses over into what kind of learner you are. And so I think I'd always rather see, rather see something demonstrated as opposed to trying to read the directions. Yeah. So I, I guess so. And maybe I never really thought about it in exactly those terms. Maybe that's why MindNode and the whole mind mapping thing appeals to me so much. Well, I think, you know, maybe you are. I, I know I am. I don't know. Stephen, do you have uh, – have you ever thought about that question? Are you a visual thinker or do you uh, – like when you get directions to someone, do you draw a map or do you write down – go on main street, two miles, turn left to, you know, Jones street or whatever. Do you draw a map or do you write down directions? Yeah. I'm much more of a linear thinker. I think okay. I, I will use visual tools. Like, I mean, Chuck's example is exactly how I use MindNote. In fact, just this week I had a meeting with the parent teacher organization at one of my kids schools and they going to, I'm going to rebuild their website on Squarespace and like their current site's a mess. And so I put together like a site map as we were talking in mind node, right? And of course their their minds were blown because they, they hadn't seen a tool like that. And you know, you can do it all with the keyboard and never touch the mouse. And so I will go there when it's necessary, but uh that's not my default. Yeah, see I, I'm a visual thinker as well. And I think visual thinkers are generally um underrepresented by the software tools. Like there's plenty of outline software out there. There's not a lot of stuff like mind node. Um and I know there's competitors, but I like my node because of its simplicity. But like I like Chuck will will make a mind note to solve a problem. Like there's nothing better, Chuck. You, you gotta try this on your 4K monitor one day. Just give it a full screen to my node with a problem. And I'll I'll put it on a separate space because I don't have separate monitors, but just having a separate space with a problem I'm working on that's a full screen my node. It's really powerful because you can really just kind of go in there and pick away at it and come back at it later. But it also works with other people. Like as a lawyer, I used to design contracts in a mind map with clients. And for some clients, it didn't work. They're like, they didn't care. And other clients, it was life-changing. It's like, now they understand. And it, it really sent home for me the idea that some people are visual thinkers and some people are more linear. And I think being aware uh, and this is to the listener, if you're being aware of what you are, whether you are a visual or a linear thinker, I think you should start thinking about your software tools in that context, you know, take advantage of the way your brain works. But man, that was a long way for me to say, yeah, I like my note too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, David, I, I was, I, I'm going to give one other example so more for the listeners so that yeah. they, 
they can relate. But if you think about, and, and assuming you're not working at home, right? But if you think about setting up a phone tree at the office as to who's covering whose phones, I, I, I don't even want to think about trying to do that in anything but a mind map because then you can see that the phone rings first to David's desk, and if, if David doesn't answer, then it goes to Stephen's desk, and then if it doesn't answer there, it goes you know to three other desks, or you know, and and you can you can suddenly visualize how that phone call is going to travel, you know, when when it comes in, and it sounds like a trivial thing, but if you've ever set up um, a phone tree at at your office that is more than two levels deep you will start to appreciate what mind mapping software can do for you. I mean, my killer feature, if I buy this vision pro thing that for the record will cost more than my first car cost. If you um, said, if, but the, yeah, I know. Didn't I? I did. Didn't I? <laughs> well, you know, we'll see. I probably will. I mean, the only reason I wouldn't is if like the school stuff got real expensive with the kids, but I, I'm likely going to buy one, um, but the uh, but the the killer app for me almost is probably just a a massive mind node, right? Uh, a mind map that's ten feet long and ten feet high that I can put these things on and look at it and really think through a problem using the world's biggest whiteboard, right? I feel like that to me is the kind of thing I'm looking forward to experience. That is, it's not like the killer feature. I think a lot of people would think that's silly. But the way my brain works, that would actually really help me. I don't think it sounds silly at all. I, I th- but to your point, it's going to depend on how your brain works. Stephen would just have a an outline that's twelve feet tall. Right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I do. I do like my outlines. Um, I, I, I can see Stephen wearing a Vision Pro with a twelve foot tall outline, and then he puts a step ladder in his office just to step up. You know. <laughs> so. I th- we're wearing the goggles. Wearing the goggles what, going up and what down. What could go wrong? Uh <laughs> well, I mean, you do like to break stuff, so I feel like that would be a good avenue for you. Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> been a it's been a minute since I've broken an Apple device. Will I be the first person to break a Vision Pro? God, I hope not. Steven, don't forget the fact that you can, you know, with the monitor arms, you can turn the monitor um so it's uh portrait instead of landscape, and therefore you can have a longer mind map if if that's the direction you want to go. That's true. Uh, I, I ran that for a little while. Uh, David ran it for, for quite a while back in the iMac Pro days. And uh, there's definitely something to that. Makes sense for a reference monitor, Chuck, like what you've got there. Like if you took your side monitors and turned them vertical, uh, then you, you don't have to turn your head as much. And for document type stuff, it actually works pretty good. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that, David. Well, have to report okay. back to us on it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know I was coming on here to get homework. Well, it, it, you won't be the first guest. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. What else are you using um, uh, off of your system, though, to to help with the fancy day job? One of my favorite things has become Apple Notes. I I was an Evernote user way back when I got off of it. Honestly, I don't remember why or why I decided to to, to leave Evernote. It was long before they started having any issues. Um, and just sort of bounced around from note program to note program. And then Apple Notes came along, and it just struck a chord with me as it's simple, it's easy to understand, it's easy to to file things and find things within notes. Um, the fact that it syncs between all my devices so that even if I'm 
terrible example, but if I'm at the grocery store and suddenly have a, a you know some kind of great idea, I can I don't have to scribble it down or, or email it to myself or whatever. I can open up that note right there, put it in, and then when I get back to the Mac and forget about it, and then when I get back to my Mac, it's there. And so it's it's become one of those apps that and Apple just keeps to improving it and adding capabilities, sometimes small, sometimes large, but they just keep improving it. The syncing for me has been flawless, which we all know how difficult syncing can be. And if you if you're if you're using a program that doesn't sync well, you end up losing something somewhere somehow. So that that is really a place where I spend an awful lot of time, you know, filing things as opposed to having separate documents that have to live, you know, on on the on the Mac or in the cloud or somewhere. It all just lives inside notes. Yeah, that I mean I think that's an angle of notes I think a lot of people don't think of, you know, I have written books and talked on the show extensively about auto filing PDFs and things like that. But there are pieces of this that don't need something that fancy. Like I um I have um I have a little wood shop and I've got manuals for tools and I had PDF'd all of those and it occurred to me that I've got like a an Apple note where I keep notes like what's the angle of my chisel when I sharpen it and things like that. And I thought, why don't I just put all the manuals in this note? And I loaded it up with manuals. They're all there. I can go check them out. They're just in Apple notes. I don't, this isn't something I'm going to be giving over to my accountant, you know? So it's just very easy. And it's like a very easy on-ramp for stuff like that. So I I think Chuck, uh, you're onto something there. And, And the fact that Apple makes it says that they're going to pay a lot of attention to it. And the odds are that you're not going to have um, conflicts or times that the, the software author, with all due respect to developers out there everywhere, that you're not going to have those time frames of, well, I have to wait for my favorite program to get updated so that it works on Sonoma. You know, it's, Notes is going to work day one on Sonoma because it's an Apple product. And there's, I mean, there's a lot to be said for just living inside the Apple ecosystem as much as you can. Not that it doesn't have its flaws, but for the most part, if you live inside the Apple ecosystem, you're going to have a lot fewer times you have to make major transitions. And as we've been talking about on the show now for a while, the Apple ecosystem is getting to be a nicer place to live. I feel like the Apple productivity apps have improved generally over the last few years more than we expected them to. I would agree. With that, there was a time it felt like Apple's focus was elsewhere. They rewrote pages and Keynote and numbers because they had to, because it had to be start to work in a cloud-based environment. And then it felt like things stalled and they, we didn't get some of the features back that we had. But now it feels like we're getting those features back and more. And I just pages is a is a great example that I think is under seriously underappreciated. That you know, it can be a, a page layout program. It could be a word processing program. Is it Word? No, and it doesn't pretend to want to be. But, you know, I, I love the people that say, well, I have to use Word. And we're like, well, why? Well, because. So exactly how many documents are you producing for paper <laughs> you know, right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, those days, they're not gone, but it's just such a lower percentage that, you know, you 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 can take some of these tools, and a save yourself a lot of money, 
and B, again, live inside the Apple ecosystem. Hey guys, since Chuck mentioned Evernote, you want to take a minute and pour one out for Evernote? I guess we should acknowledge this is this past week that we've recorded the show. Evernote has shut down U.S. operations. Um, they're still they're owned by an Italian company, and the impression I get from what I've read is that they're going to incorporate Evernote technologies into their product, which is uh, what's a bending spoons, I believe mm-hmm. they call it. Yeah, but uh, Evernote, for all intents and purposes, is is now a distant memory. It's a bummer. I mean, I remember being out in Silicon Valley, like being on the highway and like driving by the building with Evernote on the side of it, right? They they had yeah. they had such a head start on this sort of product and they really uh they squandered it, I think in a lot of ways and um and this is like another step in that direction sadly. It's not the first time or the last time we're going to see a company like that 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 was so full of promise not live up to that promise. Um, I'm David. I've read the same things you have. I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that maybe Evernote will survive in some fashion, but oh, unfortunately, a lot of us have moved on. And I, if if they came roaring back and said, "We're back, baby," and I'm sorry, you'd have to you'd have to really work hard to convince me to give up my current workflow. Mm-hmm. I, I I wrote an article at Max Barkey this week. I feel like their mistake was trying to become bigger than what they were. You know, they were really good at syncing notes, and then they wanted to become a bunch more. And I feel like they kind of the stuff that they were good at, they became bad at because it got too bloated. But but I don't know. Maybe they had to do that. You know, would they? You know, with the rise of Apple Notes, would we have stuck with it even if they had stayed on brand? Who knows? But. I know there's a lot of listeners that are are big Evernote users, and I, I guess I would say just as uh, if if that's you and you don't know what to do, I would take a look at Apple Notes like Chuck did. I think Apple Notes for Mac users and Apple users, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, it's pretty good. It doesn't do everything Evernote did, but it does a few things Evernote doesn't do. And but it is multimedia notes, easy to export. And and it's, and you can actually use it for a lot of things that Evernote was good at. So, if you're looking for a replacement, ever uh, I would start with Apple Notes. If you're listening and you've moved past Evernote to something else, I'd encourage you to go to the uh, to the um, forums for this episode and let people know what you used. But I know there's there's several listeners asking about. Maybe we'll cover this more in our next feedback episode. But the subject came up, so I just wanted to mention it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by MacPaw, who are thrilled to announce Moonlock, their new cybersecurity division, and along with it, their upgraded CleanMyMac malware removal module. You can join millions of satisfied users who rely on CleanMyMac's malware removal for its ease of use and dependability. And now it's powered by the Moonlock engine, so it's even more effective in safeguarding your Mac. Moonlock Engine is brought to you by Moonlock Division, the new cybersecurity unit by MacPaw. Find out more about Moonlock Engine and try the updated CleanMyMac with 5% off with the coupon code MOONLOCKMPU using the link in the description of the episode. So this is an awesome update. And what it means is that MacPaw has a dedicated team to deal with cybersecurity. They can be nimble, they can be fast, and they can bring their very best work to clean my Mac. I was so excited when I saw this announcement. I think it's really important in our age to make sure we have a handle on this 
And with the Moonlock Division, MacPaw, they're not messing around. There's a lot to love about it, including faster scans. They now run up to two times faster, ensuring quick and efficient protection for macOS. Plus expanded coverage because the scan now covers additional locations like external drives, mail attachments, archives, browser extensions. This leaves no stone unturned in the fight against malware. And you can customize the scan within CleanMyMac to tailor your needs. Prioritize either speed or coverage, giving you control over the level of protection that you want. Backed by a dedicated team of experts, Moonlock is exclusively focused on addressing the security needs of Mac users. As cyber threats continue to rise, they're committed to bridging the gap between emerging risks and the knowledge needed to protect against them. Click the link in the show notes now to learn more about the Moonlock engine and try the updated Clean My Mac with 5% off when you use the coupon code MoonlockMPU. Our thanks to MacPaw and their new cybersecurity division, Moonlock, for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. All right, Chuck, we were talking earlier about all of the podcasts you make, but uh, I'd like to get nerdy for a minute. Um, what are you using to record your shows and produce them? What, you know, give us some of your workflows, buddy. Okay, so I have two main workflows. The, the, the first one is for the one-on-one interviews, the one-on-two, maybe one-on-three interviews. And that is um, I record with Ecamm, uh, which is not only a great streaming software, but it's also a great recording software because it will capture images. It, it will give you a, a 4K uh, window to work with, which means that if, for example, if I had the three of us on an Ecamm, um, I can then, and, and I am a post-production guy. We'll talk about Mac Voices Live in a minute, but I, I prefer post-production just because I can control it. Um, I feel like I don't, anything that goes wrong, I'm not wasting the listener's time. Uh, so I, I I really like that better. But if I had the three of us on, I can take that, that, that uh, file into Final Cut, and I will have three... 1080p images then that I can I can either do a group shot with all of us or I can zoom in on each one of us and have a high quality image. Uh, and so again, Ecamm for, for recording, Final Cut for publishing. Well, let me interrupt there just for a minute because Ecamm yeah. is an interesting technology. I don't think we've talked about this on the show before where, as I understand it, it's recording to the web. It doesn't do local recordings, right? No, I, I can do local recordings. That's, okay. In fact, that's the only way I would trust it. Yeah. Well, that's not true, but yes, that it, it does record locally. Okay, but when you interview me, is that also going to you locally, the recording, or where is it going? Yep, going coming straight to me. You all you have to do is sign in and say hello, and I've got everything. And not only is it, I mean, it also will give me the option on the M ones to again, if the three of us were on, I get a separate audio track and video track for each of us so that I can manipulate them as I wish. Um, and so if, if Steven dropped a glass and it shattered on the floor, you would never know it because you know, it's only going to be on his track. Well, what if he dropped an Apple watch and it shattered on the floor? Cause well, that's more have, likely. Hey, we'd have to listen to him <laughs> crying. <laughs> um, so that's that's sort of the workflow for uh, for the those shots. Mac Voices Live is a little bit different uh, because although Ecamm has upgraded their 
their capabilities recently, and I honestly just haven't had time to to play with it. But um, I record Mac Voices Live on Zoom because it can stream right out to YouTube, and I can basically have almost as many guests as as I can have on. So the other night, pro- I don't know if it was the largest panel we've ever had, but we had eleven different people participating. And that can be a lot of fun. And so and it can be especially fun if you're streaming it to YouTube and you get to interact with folks in the chat room. But then I will take those videos and go through the same process. Um, the, the resolution is not quite as good as with Ecamm, but it's good enough. And if, if it's not, I run it through uh, some software called Topaz Video AI, and it, it ramps up the resolution. Now it's not; it's never going to give you back, you know, the fine detail, but it also makes it so that you can watch it and watch it comfortably. And after about a minute and a half, you're not going to even think about it, as opposed to big, blocky, ugly video that you're going to turn off after after ten seconds and say, "I don't want to watch that." So, and 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 that editing is all done again in Final Cut and then exported out and uploaded to YouTube or Vimeo um, or Facebook. And that's where you can consume it. For people who haven't checked out Mac Voices, first of all, strong recommend from us to go do that. But can you talk a little bit about sort of the different formats you do and um, and maybe some of the prep that goes into them? I'm sure. Um, so let's start with the live show. Um, the live show is pretty easy. We have a, we have a Slack uh, for the panel members. And on Monday sometimes Tuesday morning, um, you know, I'll publish the Zoom information for Tuesday night's show and also some of the articles that, that I had on my radar or topics that I had on my radar and invite anyone else in the panel to throw in, you know, something they want to talk about too. And, and so then we do the show Tuesday nights. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very much unscripted. Um, it's turned into, it sort of started at the beginning of the pandemic and it's turned into just a gathering of of good friends that get together, almost like you know, say, okay, Thursday nights we're gonna we're gonna meet at this restaurant and order a couple pizzas and and talk tech, but but you're also inviting people to to listen in and participate a little bit via the chat. So that's the that's how that works. Uh, the individual shows um, are one in one one on one interviews, and usually. I, I don't prefer I prefer not to script things too much. I really want it to be more conversational. So if I have Joe Kissel on um who runs Take Control, you know, Joe will tell me what what book we're gonna talk about, and I'll ask him if there's any particular highlights or points that he wants to make. And usually it's no, we'll just, you know, we'll wing it. And we do. It's just a conversation about, hey Joe, you know, new edition of this book or brand new book, tell us about it. And from there, I craft my questions based on what he's talking about or what my interests are in that. I, I'm trying to represent the the viewer and listener and, and ask the kind of questions that they would have about whatever we're talking about. Same thing with, with developer interviews or anything else. Um, Charlotte Henry and I, there are a couple little mini-series inside Mac Voices Um just like Mac Voices Live is is one of those. And I should say, by the way, that the Mac Voices Live shows, those are 8 to roughly 9.30 Tuesday nights. and But I, I eventually take those, cut them up into two or three episodes and release them on the feeds. Because realistically, you can't expect the people in Europe or 
Australia, Australia or, or Asia to participate in those or even benefit from them. So I make sure that we, we get those out, um, very lightly edited, but they still get out. But no, um, Charlotte Henry and I started doing um, uh, a TV Plus Talk segment. We do once a, once a week, once a month, excuse me, um, to talk about the world of Apple TV Plus and and how it's evolving, uh, because that's very much the entertainment thing is is very much Charlotte's beat, and so Apple TV Plus is one part of that for her, but it's a bigger part for me. So we've partnered up with that. Um, I do my briefings, which are my review, um, my version of of hardware and software reviews. I'm way behind on those, but it just seems like there's so much content out there to be published right now that I just got to get time to do it. Um, so it's it's sort of, for a while, there was very much one format. And David remembers when you know, I started breaking off shows and doing different shows, I did I had Mac Notables for a while, where that was some of the most some of the most notable Mac journalists on on a on a panel. Then, and that was just its own little thing. And then I had the Mac Jury, which we discussed controversial issues, and that was a panel discussion. And it came very became very quick, obvious very quickly that that meant having to maintain multiple different identities, multiple different websites. And eventually, I just folded them all into Mac Voices. And of course, then there was the transition to from audio only to uh, audio and video um, when things became a lot more affordable and internet speeds got to where they are. And my expertise got to a point that I could start to play with it and be comfortable with it. And that's another place where it's just, it seemed like a natural outgrowth of things. So there's, there's just, there have been a lot of evolutions and I'm never opposed to trying anything that either comes in my head or somebody suggests. Um, if it's if it's at all realistic, I'll take a shot at it. What's been your favorite part about the evolution of Mac Voices and everything that's grown out of it? I think the evolution itself is is the most fun thing to to know that I'm not just doing the same old thing. That there are new bits and pieces to it, and you know. Oh, I'm I'm constantly trying to improve it, you know, to to play with the new technology that, like the 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 large language models and all, and see how how that can be integrated into the workflow and what it can do for me, um, and the fact that it's it's allowed me to talk to so many fascinating people and make connections and make friends with people that you know, otherwise I would never have never have crossed paths with, and now I consider them really good friends, um, no matter where they live. I mean, I've, I've said this to plenty of people that some, most of my best friends don't live in my town, uh, my city, my, my state, and in some cases, even my country. But, you know, you get to know people and people are just people. And, and if, if, if we could get rid of all the, if, if we could get the politicians to stop arguing over things, it would be so much easier because if you can find something you can relate to, it doesn't matter exactly what language you, you speak or which side of the Atlantic or Pacific you're on. It's just, we have common ground and you, you jump in and you're off and running with that common ground instead of uh, talking politics. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to Macworld and there was a hallway and there was a group of people all sitting down to each other talking about Apple script. And like the nerd I am, I sat down with them and we became <laughs> friends. None of us were friends before that day began. But there's a group hmm. of nerds sitting on the floor writing Apple scripts together in the hallway, 
there used to be a big hallway. Macworld used to have two halls, and you had to go underground to get from one to the other. I was in the basically the dungeon under Macworld writing Apple Script, and I'm like, oh, I found my people, you know, and and that is true. I think that's something that that what we do helps hopefully encourage people to find each other. But but when you do find your people, then all the other stuff goes away. And I think Stephen and I, just like you, Chuck, would say most of our best friends are not in our time zone. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's funny. Sometimes I reflect and, and even share this with people. It's like some of the most important people in my life are in my life because we have a shared affinity for a particular computer platform. It's like, how did that happen? But yeah, uh, right. but it's true. <laughs> There's more to it than that, I think. There, I think oh, there um, definitely is. But it's kind yeah. of a funny way to put it, I think. But again, it's it's common it's common ground. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you you bond over a sport or the the kind of car you drive. If that's your thing, then great. If you can connect with other people that that's their thing too, you automatically automatically have have that connection. As we record this, I'm getting ready to leave in a couple of days to go to Max Talk. And we constantly say, you know, look, if you're a first timer there, just walk up and start to talk to somebody because you you are among friends. You have friends automatically because you walk through the door and you're you're an Apple person. Yeah, we should have mentioned that earlier. Max Talk is happening the weekend that this episode airs. And I will tell you, it's a, f- a lot of fun. Steven and I did episode 500 there. One of my favorite Mac stock memories is when Steven just started upgrading people's Macs on the cafeteria floor there and was pulling Macs <laughs> apart with a bunch of people eating sandwiches, crowding around him, looking over his shoulder. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. A little unexpected, but fun. Yeah. But it's just, it, it is like you are among family there. And although we didn't get this episode out before it happened, um, if you're curious about Mac stock, there's also a lot of great speakers there and they have a product now where if you couldn't make it, you know, whether it be travel restrictions or you're far away or whatever, you can still get the benefit of all those presentations. Uh, Chuck, um, if you could give us a link, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes so people can go check that out. Sure. It's, it's easy. It's maxdocconferenceandexpo.com, A-N-D, expo.com. Are you speaking there this year? I am. What are you going to be talking about? Mike's, Mike Potter set the topic for this year, the overall topic, as learn. Okay. And so I'm going to approach it as um, learn and live in the future or get stuck in the past. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Would I, would LLM become part of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What, oh, yeah. what do you think about that, Chuck? What, what are you using? You've, you've mentioned it a few times today that you're using large language models and playing with them. Where, where are the parts for you that are interesting to you? The ones that I've been using, of course, playing with ChatGPT, of course, because that's sort of where everybody has to play. Um, using Mac Whisper to to do some of the transcriptions automatically, and then taking those, taking the transcriptions, throwing them into uh, Mac uh, Mac GPT, um, yeah. and you know, then allowing it to generate descriptions of the show or show notes or anything like that. Um, there's a service called Auphonic. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's I just started using that, and they recently in, uh, included some some of the large language generative models in. Um, so it will go through and it will punch up um, chapter markers for you and transcriptions and 
show notes. So that's another one. I think that this whole idea of, of AI transcription is something that is really, it's really far along if people don't realize it. I, I think I'm going to be using AI uh, whisper transcription to do the transcripts for the new field guide I'm working on because all the tests have been coming out really good. And um, I think that's something people can check out. Uh, a related tool that I bumped into recently is called AudioPin. Have you heard of this? No. Uh, uh, audiopin.ai I just made a video for the labs on it it'll be going out this week but it's a thing where you just talk to it you know how people have that problem with transcription where you know the first transcription is kind of ugly you say things you didn't mean to say you don't really have an organization with it what this does is it transcribes your voice you talk into it and then it takes everything you said and tries to turn that into something usable so it's not a literal transcription so much as taking what you you said and turn that into something usable. So it does a second step where it's it's not a summary so much as it is as an organization of your words. And I'm like, that is a great use of AI, you know, where you can go in and talk. It's your words, but then the computer is trying to like do a better job of putting them together for you. And it's not necessarily usable in the first draft, but it's a lot closer. You may want to add that one to your presentation. Yeah, I, I just wrote it down. I'll have to, I definitely will be checking it out. David, we're seeing so many of the service, of different services add. Um, I, I always hesitate to say AI because that yeah. gets in, that just automatically triggers a debate. Yes. So let's, let's, let's call them large language models. But Notion sort of has their take on how it integrates with their pro- product, Grammarly does. I mean, there, there's so Craft. many, and of course, we know Microsoft is going to be integrating things. BART is out for Google. So these things are everywhere. And if you are not checking them out, you're really losing out. Yeah. And I'd also argue that if you're afraid that you're, it's coming for your job, one way to avoid that is to understand it and find out how you can incorporate it into making your job better without it replacing you. And I, I also think that's a little over over um people are a little over uh, anxious about suddenly ai just getting everybody fired i i don't want to say that's impossible i think there will be absolute disruption and, and jobs and careers will be upset by what's happening with this stuff but um putting your head in the sand isn't really the answer i agree with you david and it, and also it's it's yet another tool it's it's a sophisticated tool it can be a very useful tool in the right place so why wouldn't you at least try it and, like you said, learn about it um, so that so that you can be the one who can speak with some experience as opposed to being one of the ones that's sitting there saying, I really don't know. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash MPU and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using the code MPU. There's a lot of things I love about Squarespace. I love the way they've been supporting podcasters for all these years, helping us get the word out about their service. And that's the second thing I love about Squarespace. That's their service. For the longest time, making a website was just fraught with peril, but not with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to make a professional-looking website with just a few clicks. No matter what kind of website you're building, whether you're going to have a new baby or start a new business, Or maybe you just want to set up an easy way for your consulting clients to book time with you. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can easily sell your products in an online store. 
whether they're physical or digital, Squarespace has the tools you need to get starting selling online. This used to be a huge thing with Squarespace. It's just a couple buttons. And one of the things I like if you're going to sell on Squarespace is they have built-in email campaigns. So just encourage your visitors to sign up as an email subscriber, and then you can get them emails every time you've got something going on, maybe a special promotion or something. Uh, They've got email templates there that you can customize and apply your own brand ingredients like colors and logo. Plus, it's got built-in analytics to measure the impact of every send. If you're going to build a website, you're going to have a bunch of assets like your logo and uh, common artwork. Well, with Squarespace, you can build what they call an asset library where you can upload all that stuff and access your content from one place so you don't have to scramble to find the right content. You can manage all of your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform. The team at Squarespace has really gone the extra mile to make it easy for you to make any kind of website easily that you control. I've been a Squarespace subscriber for years. I've got multiple sites built on Squarespace and running. I love that they give me all of those power features and they're reasonably priced. If you want a presence on the internet, you start with Squarespace. So check it out. Go to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial. Do you want to look great on the web? Go to Squarespace. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com MPU to use the code MPU and save that 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Wait, did he say domain? Yes, you can also get your domain there, making the whole process even easier. Once again, squarespace.com slash MPU and code MPU when you decide to sign up to get that 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Chuck, we like to wind down these guest shows with some favorite apps and services, things that you use and rely on that maybe we haven't gotten to touch on yet. Oh, this is always a tough one because there's so many. But I pick three that I feel like I – it's always hyperbole to say, oh, I couldn't live without them. Of course you could, <laughs> but I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, the first one has to be Text Expander. It just I, I have so many text expansions set up, and if I if if for whatever reason it doesn't open up or it crashes or something, which does not happen very often, but all of a sudden it's like I feel hamstrung because all those little things that were so convenient and improving my accuracy and improving my speed are gone, and it's like okay, stop the presses. We got to go back and figure out what's not working here, um, and usually it's just it, it's a matter of restarting the application and that's it. But so, so, and that's not to say it's unstable. I'm not, you know, that this is not that kind of discussion. No, it's just the fact that it is so indispensable to me that I I just, I love what they've done with it. I love the way that they continue to develop it um, and and make it even more rock solid and make it even more useful. Can you share a, a snippet or two that just brings you delight every time you trigger it? If you've ever looked at the Mac voices show notes, you see different segments of, uh, you know, okay, so here are the links, here's, here are the chapters, here are all, then then the, the basically the boilerplate stuff. Here are all the social media presences. Here's how you donate to Patreon. And I have that in just one five, uh, five key, excuse me, five character snippet and just yeah. do that and it just pops right out. And I just, yeah, that's a good way to say it, David. It just delights me because I don't have to go and dig through all that stuff. It's just all right there. You know, and I should say too, that these three, 
boy, it's really tough to order them because, you know, so I'm, I'm, I would say that these are all like my, my top tier. The second one is LaunchBar. Uh, it's it's a launching application. I don't know if you've if any of you've played with it. There are a lot of great launcher applications out there, um, but one of the killer features of LaunchBar for me is the way that it handles its clipboard manager, because it will allow me to you know scroll back through things that I've pasted in at some point, and you know bring them back up. Um, it was just I mean now honestly. I have to put my my fingers on the keyboard to figure out. So it's it's command space K to bring up the history. And it just works for me so well. And it does some things that I've I've not been able to do with other clipboard managers. And again, it's all in the approach to it. Um, but some of them when when you pop them up, they just block out way too much of the screen for me, or they they're not in an easy to manipulate form. And for me, launch bar just works. Plus just the ability to launch virtually anything on my Mac from the keyboard and never have to touch the mouse or scroll in and dig through folders is is just a killer. You know, I used launch bar for years and then eventually I went to Alfred for some feature or another. I don't even remember what it was. And now I'm looking at the launch bar page again. And this is my this is my weakness, Chuck. I'm like, ah. Oh. I got to try launch bar again. It looks mm-hmm. so pretty and they've done such a nice job over the years. They're up to version six. Oh my goodness. What is What are you doing to me, Chuck? <laughs> what you did to me, David. All right. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. And and the third one, and this may sound redundant, but it's not. Um, Pastebot is also a clipboard manager, but it's a completely different kind of clipboard manager. Uh, and I use that in conjunction with my stream deck so, because there there are things you can put into that you can copy and put on the clipboard in Pastebot, then you can assign a keyboard shortcut to it, and then load that into the Stream Deck. And when you hit the button, it pops up. The big thing for me, the kind of the killer functionality there is that I have yet to find a clipboard manager that will accept um, clippings from F- Final Cut. So, mm. for example, if 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 I have a lower third in Final Cut, I can I can cut that and paste it back in. Well, when I cut it, of course, it goes to the clipboard. So I go in then to Pastebot, assign it some crazy key, keyboard shortcut that I could never remember, then take that shortcut, load it into the Stream Deck, and now with one button, I've got your lower third in. Nice. So basically, you're using the key command in the Stream Deck to trigger a PaceBot saved clipboard. Right. But again, PaceBot does something that I have not found another clipboard manager that does. And that is save the, um, save the clipboard from final cut. Ah, so if you're using final cut, you need to check that. Have you tested that with, uh, just hypothetically speaking, check, have you tested that with ScreenFlow? <laughs> uh, no, I have not. Well, I, I might have to now. I wouldn't be a bit surprised I mean, yeah. because ScreenFlow is another great app, but, well, are you talking about the same thing, kind of thing, lower third? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Like, I, I do, I have snippets or bits of video in ScreenFlow I, I use repeatedly for various things I make. I'm thinking, that would be nice to have a whole panel on the stream deck of all your saved uh, video clips, and you just push the button and drop them in. Yeah, it it really is, it really is nice. Try it out. Now, now it's my turn. Let me know if that works, because just for my education, I'd, I'd love to know, but... Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of sort of the other side. I, I, and, and I love the fact that, 
with PaySpot, unlike LaunchBar, I can almost name an unlimited number of saves so that, you know, if I wanted to save my last thousand clippings, I can, as opposed to, uh, I, th- I think it's only a hundred, 150 in LaunchBar, which I know that's, that sounds crazy, but you'd be shocked at how often you, you want to go back to something you were working on three or four or five hours ago. And it's like, yeah, it's right there. If it's not one place, it's going to be the other. Yeah. And there is, you know, I think power using clipboard is one of the untapped things. A lot of, of power users need to look into. We did a whole show on clipboard uh, history uh, apps last year. And a lot of that reigns true. Uh, since we recorded that show, what's that app I think called paste mm-hmm. one of the, one of the ones that kind of jumped out at us that we didn't know uh, of as well, but we really liked it in the show. They've got a major update since we talked about it, but in general, there there are a lot of great options out there. And if you're not using something to manage your clipboard, you're missing out because it, it really can improve your speed and reliability of, of uh, repetitive uh, video clips, even in Final Cut. The great thing about clipboard managers and about Text Expander, and and I'll, I'll add a fourth one. I'm cheating. I'll add one on you, and that's Default Folder. Oh yeah, that, good one. Yeah. You know, but the thing the thing is about all of those, every single one of us, it doesn't matter what you do with your Mac, you can make use of those. It's just a matter of you learning to learning them and, and the man, the the the, uh, the the learning curve on those on all of those is so small to start getting huge rewards out of. So, you know, go and a clipboard manager, whichever one works for you, text expander and paystot. Excuse me, and default folder um, are the ones that you know everybody can use those. Yeah, those are some some all time greats on the Mac for sure, and uh, you know all all of them, uh, and some of the other utilities you mentioned like Alfred or Raycast or Paste. Like these are experiences you can really only get on Mac OS, right? Going back to sort of the beginning about you know people uh, using this platform to like move forward. These are these are experiences you don't get other places, and they're and they're part of what make the Mac ecosystem so special. All right, Chuck, where do people find you? MacVoices.com is the best place. There are links to everything there. Um, as I said, we do Mac Voices Live Tuesday nights, eight PM Eastern, five PM Pacific, whatever time that is, wherever you are, at YouTube.com/slash MacVoicesTV. Would love to have you join us in the chat room to. Um, to throw your questions, comments, abuses, whatever else you want to throw in the chat room, we, we pretty much accept. Um, and on pretty much all the socials, um, and I finally got, I, I'm on, also got on T2 and just got on Blue Sky, you can find me as at Chuck Joyner. Yeah, you may be the last one in the door at Blue Sky with the way <laughs> things are going. <laughs> yeah. um, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, we show up in your podcaster of choice every Sunday afternoon, whether or not I am wearing my fancy pants. Today, uh, we had some sponsors. Thank you to 1Password, SaneBox, CleanMyMac, X, and Squarespace. Uh, for those of you that are in the more power users, that's the ad-free version of our show uh, it gets a little additional content. We're going to be talking to Chuck about covering Apple for 23 years today. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.